Good morning and welcome to another episode of Chaz Wins. I'm your host, Chaz Burke, and today's date is March 31st, 2019. It's pre-April Fool's Day. April Fool's Eve. <laughs> it's April Fool's Eve, thank you. <laughs> I'm joined today on the VIP couch by special guest and contributor Monica Hughes. Say good morning, Monica. Good morning. So I posed a question. Oh, well, first of all, peace and blessings to each and every one of you. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we were just lightly going over conversation and sometimes intently going on, intensely going over just thoughts, concerns, and topics of the of the community. So I posed the question yesterday uh, about reparations since it keeps coming up and what people thought about reparations. And I asked the question, do you think they would matter? And some of you who uh, valued listeners who tune in and make contributions made a few statements. So I'm just going to read a few of those real quick and then we'll get into it. We'll chop it up as they say. So again, will reparations make a difference as it opposes to gentrification? And Ronnie Walker says no. And Halima Tammy Thompson responded with this. I don't think there's any one solution. However, reparations in the form of community and family owned assets could be beneficial. Then we move on to Mrs. Julie Brown Roberts, who always got something terrific to, contrib- to, to contribute no matter what the subject is. She goes on to say, gentrification is, is the continuation of oppression. Every so often it, give, it gives slavery a new name, but it smells the same. You sell off the community at the highest price to minorities, and when the value of the property goes down, you buy it back. Meanwhile, you ensure the land value decreases by multiplying money Manipulate. and oh, sorry, manipulating money and ensure it is devalued. Reparations is what we call it. It's actually back pay, illegally held plus interest and penalties. That's very good insight on that. Now we move down to our friend Christina. I always pronounce his name wrong, and I shouldn't, but. I believe it's shake. She's going to correct me. (laughs) She's going to correct me. So this is so complex. I really don't know. Initial thoughts, gentrification and displacement in lieu of community development is just the domestic colonialism. I agree. And it is barbaric. If emoticon of gentrification is a piece of actual development, it can be productive and inclusive but I think reparations alone wouldn't guarantee inclusive inclusion and equity. I mean, sure, I'm totally for the reparations, but those reparations have to include guaranteed political representation representation for all. And I would agree in that as well. Brett Leith Burke, nephew, says not at all. And uh, Veronica White says, no, sir. So just reading those statements, um, it's pretty interesting. I, I appreciate the feedback that, you know, you all take time to comment because it just lets me know somebody's listening and somebody cares. So let's just talk about that briefly. So what are your thoughts about gentrification, Monica? You- gentrification itself or reparations, <clears throat> putting an end to gentrification? I have hopes up. There can be no, um, no, no, no order to it. Well, we talked a little bit about this yesterday and and broke down the actual definition 
of gentrification. And one of the key words in the definition was the displacement of the people that are within that community. Um, so there's definitely an issue there. I think um, what I touched on also yesterday with you were organizations such as Olmec, um, who was run by Bomani House, uh, CEO and president of that organization. Bomani House is born and raised in the Hill District, son of Salah Udin. And he has a company where he is redeveloping some of the more um, torn down areas uh, within the Hill District and improving upon them and keeping, keeping it within the community, which I think is, is an answer. Um, gentrification is not the answer. When someone comes in from outside of the community and displaces people, that's never beneficial, beneficial to that community. So, When I hear the term gentrification, it makes me think about um, just one thing comes to mind, like uh, the reverse of white flight. And you, you remember like back in the, well, the conversation about in the, I guess in the forties after World War II, when all the soldiers came back home and all the, uh, all the GIs were granted, they got the GI bill for housing and everything. And, mm-hmm. and that for the first time gave middle-class America a chance to buy property and own property, move out the suburbs and, and automobiles were coming online more and more and more and people had more access to them. And all the white folks moved out of the city. And I always wondered, was it that much better? The American dream out there? Is it white flight? White what, flight, that's what it's called. Yeah, white flight is a term. And you can all you go off and reference that, Google it. Basically, it was uh, white folks getting out of the city, getting away from black. Back. Yeah, <laughs> so now they yeah that's back. what happened. And they got, left prime, the city. Prime property. They left the cities and uh, for the most part, came into the cities to work and they left the cities with uh, mostly minorities, basically the majority of people living in the cities, but the cities were still controlled by whites. So um, subsequently throughout the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, you had the struggle in the inner cities where, again, on TV, as we grew up watching and seeing that always crime ridden, decay, crumbling, lack of infrastructure, and just dirty and crime and everything. And I think that all plays into the narrative, but when you talk about gentrification now, I see the reverse. Because now, <laughs> cities realize that all these people live in the suburbs, they're not paying taxes in the city. And it's one way to get the people to back and get the money back, the revenue back in the cities is to get the majority of your taxpayers with income and means to move back in the city. So what do you do? You gentrify the place. You, again, buy a property, sell it off, impose laws that the African-Americans are hard to, can't, can't fight and deal with social things like um, paying taxes and back taxes and different laws for this, that, and the other. And the laws keep changing to a point where you have people who are in, a, in an income bracket who can't keep pace with all the changes that oftentimes take lawyers to get involved to stake their claim, if you will. So that property becomes vacant and with some other things going on, of course, the decay of the, the neighborhood around. So, and it makes it easier for corporations, banks, people with means to come in and scoop up this property, dirt cheap. Everyone else has to be pushed out into where, I don't know where they're going. Suburbs, I guess, the reversal. I think over the last 30 years, that's what we've been seeing. And people with means are moving back in the city. And they're white folks. And to see a lot of uh, infrastructure and money being put into the cities now across America. That ain't just Pittsburgh here, that's just across America. So it kind of ties into uh, the other topic we we're talking about reparations, but 
you know, just that that's the real, the fat and skinny of it, what's, what's been going on. So I always found that interesting. So do you think that's um, also why they're avoiding areas such as Wilkinsburg? And I mean, that's not city, but Wilkinsburg is one of those areas that has become completely destroyed and it's dilapidated and it's properties or completely empty, vacant. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, they're not. No one's, no one's trying to come into those areas. So I, I you're, do. You're, I you were do. saying as far as the city and taxes, uh-huh. Wilkinsburg is not desirable. It's another suburb, technically, and for those of you who don't know, Wilkinsburg is just like any other suburb, just outside of the of the city proper limits. So uh, very close to it, but it's also run down. Close enough to uh, mirror what's going on in the city. You can throw a rock across it, but at the same time. It's just just really falling by the wayside. So yeah, that's the school district. Yeah, yeah. that's that's why I think that, like you said, students are being bused to schools within the city. I really do think Wilkinsburg is going to be incorporated into the city of Pittsburgh in the near future, Mm -hmm. and then there's a new expansion of wealth because now there's new property and it's already dirt cheap, and the same thing keeps happening over and over again. And it's a real, it's real. What happens every day? And I know we talk about in our community as being people of color, how how just. How we're always on the losing end of everything, and, you know. And I always wonder, back in history, how does this happen? What came about, and why is it that this group of people, us as African Americans, why are we always stuck at the bottom or near the bottom? And why is it such a struggle? And I think the we talked about mm-hmm. that. By design. <laughs> yes, yeah, by design for sure. And it doesn't mean that people don't beat the odds, people that can't beat the odds. But the fact of the matter is, we there's a long documented history of mistreatment, mis. Uh, mistrust and misguidance guidance of people of color and that started in slavery 400 years ago and we broke that down so we won't get too deep into that but i mean it's it's a real threat to the community which brings it to another question of reparations and you know for those of you who don't understand reparations i mean i can't say i'm a scholar on it but i do know the root word of reparations is repair and America never atoned and never repaired the damage done to African families and African-American families uh, over the years. So every other group that's in, in, incurred some kind of tragedy, Jewish people in America, Japanese in internment camps, even the white slave owners were paid reparations. They was called reparations for emancipation. They were paid to get rid of their property, meaning set their slaves free, enslaved people free, and they got upwards of $300 per person to do that. And yet we were promised as people 40 acres and a mule to give us a leg up and the country continued to let Europeans come into the country and give them land and everything else. And we know all the way up into the 60s and even today, 1964 Civil Rights Act passed that we still face obstructions with legislation and people's attitudes about people of color. So, I mean, these are real live issues that our parents talk about, our grandparents talk about. and. Now reparations in the forefront we're talking about, I think a lot of people are afraid that we're not going to write a blank check and I don't know how you would go about dishing out money. But I know I've found my records of family and a lot of people have too, of former slaveholders. And it's documented on the U.S. schedule of slaves, the slave schedule in the 1860s and 1861 census. There's a separate part called the slave schedule. You can Google that for yourself. It's pretty deep. So... I mean, at some point, we got to stop making excuses and stop start accepting the truth that black folks ain't ever had a fair shot in America, and we were just barely scraping by, 
as far as equity, as far as opportunity, and as far as equality. Everything we've got, we fought for, and we're still fighting for. And I think the biggest issue is that this perception that, you know, uh, we have just been skipped over. It's just like the movie we watched last night, Us by Jordan Peele, which is pretty deep. I won't share any spoilers, but the movie was just, it's pretty cool seeing a black person's vision come to light on a big screen and seeing how they view the world. And even though it was fictional, it was a great movie, but it talked about some real subjects that kind of tie into what we're talking about a little bit today. And there's always been people of color who make contributions such as Duke Ellington, um, Lena Horne and August Wilson and Harriet Tubman, who people, uh, people like us that have been doing uh, great and wonderful things that just make this contribution. But that contribution gets overshadowed by the predominant sense of white privilege, whiteness, and ownership. So when you take those two things, those three things really, you can see how African Americans have been, we have just been just shut out of everything for the most part. And, and even to the point where we start to believe some of us, the own, our, our own uh, isms and negativities that were created about us that aren't true. Some people feed into that. So we have these situations where in our neighborhoods, we cause destruction at some point in uh, unproductive behavior and people are desperate and destitute because they're just frustrated after generations and generations of struggle and people turn to drugs and people get down and become depressed. And it's almost like a PTSD, a 400 years of PTSD syndrome in America for black folks. And, 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 and the, the, the vestiges of that, our families keep on, we keep on passing this down one way or another. And yeah, every now and then somebody, you know, you know everybody doesn't fit the same mold, but I think it's true as a whole. And, and the rest of the country just kind of just says, what do they say? <laughs> what do they say? What's, what's the term for us? Say, oh, get over it. <laughs> Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. I even seen some of that in some of your comments. Yeah, get over here. Yeah. Somebody had to, had to read them the riot act. You know? <laughs> I'll be playing on my page with that. So, I mean, I hope uh, I like the direction we're going. I like the conversation we have. I like the, the feedback. And the internet has made a lot of this possible. And there's always been people out the streets fighting and making hat behind the scenes. A lot of uh, soldiers for truth and people that, you know, sometimes go unnoticed. But we see their great work and uh, you know we want to pass that on the legacy to the next generation and i can honestly say even though i feel the struggle i feel empowered to be able to continue to fight and make my voice heard and i don't want to let anybody squander my opportunity to do that i'm gonna keep on doing it and keep on talking about things that i think matter what's your thoughts on all this as we wrap it up in the next few minutes because i want to move on to something else briefly oh um well you kind of covered a lot in that that's <laughs> little so. soliloquy. <laughs> um, no, I just I just think that in order for uh, we we as a people have to change our mindset. Um, you know, a lot of times when people hear about reparations and being made whole, I don't think a lot of us understand what that means. Um, if how how will we be compensated? What will we do? with that compensation. I mean, that's part of what you, when you raise the question, will it end gentrification? And I think that once reparations are, if and when distributed, 
how do people accept that and what do they do with it? Is it, oh, oh, that's mine and it's mine only? Or is that something that we think about as a community as a whole? And a lot of us tend to, as individuals, think of how that can make us whole as individuals and not as a community. And I think reparations has a lot to do with community in order to end gentrification. That's a good point. Um, community, that's the word to keep something up because we always talk about that. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, again, I think even one of our contributors, Christina, said, you know, if everyone has equal share to it. And uh, I don't know what that formula looks like, but you brought up a good point about, you know, ending gentrification. You know, and again, it's just two, not only do they rhyme, but they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I think like the reparations part of it is, I think it could be twofold. I think number one, if we get the United States government and the United States people to recognize that, man, something tragic happened and we need to talk about it. We need to overcome it. We need to educate the real horror and the real tragedy that slavery has been in America. It's still not, I mean, it's documented in different places and in different museums and talked about. But it needs to be accepted as a part of American history and the good and bad and ugly of it. So I think reparations, once they finally, once America finally apologizes, the United States government, once the United States government finally apologizes, and then they can start on the path of reparations, reparations and making the country whole, not just only black people, but the country. Because they've done it for a lot of other ethnic groups monetarily. And in a sense, money-wise, you know, if, I don't know how you do about doing that. Do you trace people's backgrounds, whatever DNA? I don't know. But even if people were offered money and reparations, it would still turn to, I think, turn the tide. Because if you put extra equity in people, if they have money to do things, they're going to put it back into the community regardless. Whether they buy property, whether they spend it, whether they build houses, buy houses, whether they spend it on material things, it still doesn't matter. Um everybody's piece of America looks different as we all pursue America in our own our own way. So uh, if the American dream is what everybody holds so near and dear, the pursuit of happiness, well, you know, people's, people's happiness looks different. So, I mean, I'll, I'm not so much worried about what to do with said money if it came about, just as long as it was put in the hands of the people. And this is kind of off subject a little bit, but not really. Uh, we talk about, you know, uh, commitment in black communities soldiers from the world war ii area they were the, the, the tuskegee experiment black soldiers were put into trials with chemicals and diseases and things and were subjected to subjected to syphilis injections and things like that and the united states army studied the effects and they did not tell the soldiers what was going on and they were getting sick and it became senile and died from it. Well, this is something that you could look up the Tuskegee, to, to, I can't say it, Tuskegee experiments, where if they were sued in court and money was actually being paid out to this day, there's money still due to the descendants of these soldiers. And one Donald J. Trump decided that he's thinking that this money should go back into the economy and not pay it out to the family. So if you, I can't tell you exactly what it was, but the reference is Tuskegee experiment payments made to families and yes that is an actual thing that was going on and there's still money there millions of dollars still left over that should go to the descendants of these uh these soldiers and that kind of ties into the atrocities of america and what america has done to her 
black sons and daughters. And the list just goes on and on and on. So, you know, I think, you know, with when people in court, people get sued. Uh, money is usually the result of that. People get money to make themselves whole. And that, of course, isn't always the whole answer, but it's a beginning. We've got to seek the holistic approach to what's going to do better for our community's involvement. And certainly on our own part, education will definitely make a difference in people in our own community working together, which we're seeing more and more. And of course, you always have people with different ideas. So um, we just got to keep coming together and sticking together and learn to do that better. And the other fight, you know, get prepared for that. So um, I guess pretty much it. I don't know if you have anything else and anything at all. To, to... No, no, not at all. Just, you know, like you said, making making one whole is what's key. You know, reparations is about repairing and making, making us whole. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, this podcast segment wouldn't be complete if we didn't highlight a Black-owned business here in Pittsburgh. So (laughs) I'm going to take this opportunity to just mention briefly a brand new business here in the Homestead side of Pittsburgh called Hook Fish and Chicken. And that's at 605 Amity Street in Homestead, PA, 15120. Again, Hook Fish and Chicken, 605 Amity Street, Homestead, PA, 15120. The phone number is 412-461-4665. And uh, you can be assured to get a great, great deal, a fantastic meal, and you'll get it with a smile. Because that's the way they do it at Hook Fish and Chicken and Homestead. So, listen, we just want to thank you for tuning in. Had a great time, a great topic, good conversation. Yes, I'm doing a rabbit of bean coffee as well. So, Continue to keep your ear to the speaker and we'll continue to put our voices through the microphone and we'll do this again sometime soon. Peace.